Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast, Charles Lawton season, <laughs> episode 4. It's really episode 174. Janine, I don't know how we're going to stop this now, because this... I feel like four episodes of Charles Lawton-based something, like... Next week, if we don't do something Charles Lawton-based, it's just going to feel wrong, but also, like, we have to get out of it at some point. I mean, I think this will be Not the last... Not that we want to get out of I it. I know, but I think this will be the last one. This was literally just a happenstance fluke of a thing that came about um, because I was watching this countdown show, like, this old bravo horror movies countdown show from like 2004 talking about the best scariest moments in movies and so i'm watching this countdown show and then they brought up the night of the hunter directed by actor charles lawton and i'm like wait what (laughs) i'm like i think this is the only movie he's directed and and i'm just like wait what we literally just covered three charles lawton movies three weeks in a row and now I'm hearing about a fourth movie that he directed. Okay, I, I think if we were going to do this movie, this would have to be the time. Um, and so, I like, think that's they, a very fair. Point. Yes. So, and it was just meant to be. Like, it was literally just like we finished three weeks of Charles Lawton. I'm watching this thing talking about a movie he directed right at the perfect time. Like, the stars aligned for this final week of Charles Lawton. <laughs> It really, you, you've you, you've said it outright there. A final week of Charles Lawton. Yes. I fully agree with you. It seemed to be destiny. Yes. With what you have watched this past week, that we talk about his only directorial movie. His only the only movie Charles Lawton ever directed. That is for reasons involving the reception to this movie. Yeah. Uh, that we will get into because I do not think for a minute that it deserved the reception it got upon initial release. Yeah. But I have some thoughts and feelings based around that. So we're, we're, we're definitely going to delve nicely into The Night of the Hunter 1955 today, Robert Mitchum, as another sadist. Who the only other time we've talked about Robert Mitchum on this show was when we were talking about Cape Fear, Janine. Yes, he played a very similar character. Yeah. Everybody see always seems to know the Scorsese Robert De Niro Cape Fear. Um, we did that as a deja view, one of the by far better deja view yeah, movies probably we've one ever of the best. covered. Um <laughs> But certainly the original 1962 Cape Fear with Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck is excellent as well. Um, the Night of the Hunter, though, it's a movie that has been... Is, is, is one of those that's on my list for a long time. Because I always hear about the Night of the Hunter and how good it is and how dark it is and how kind of twisted and aggressive it kind of is as a movie did you know charles i had absolutely no idea charles lawton directed this movie (laughs) absolutely no idea but it is it has always been a movie that has come up 
when I've been searching for things, when I've been looking through books and sites and whatever you look through to find new movies to watch, Night of the Hunter always pops up as a very well-revered, well-respected movie. I just never got round to watching it. I'm so glad this is a first-time watch for me because it was like way weirder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. This is a really weird, bizarre, creative as hell movie. And I am so into the fact that it is not just a simple, straightforward thriller like Cape Fear was. Because as good as Cape Fear was, and I only compare it to Cape Fear simply because Robert Mitchum likes playing charismatic sadists. Um, Cape Fear is quite a straightforward plot, really. It's a straightforward idea. There's nothing necessarily big picture, poetic going on in Cape Fear. Necessarily. It's just an intense, suspenseful thriller uh, coming from the novel. This is entirely a beast of its own creation. And Charles Lawton, I don't know what came, where this movie came from in his mind, or where the directing for this movie came from in his mind, because there are elements to this movie that are painfully noticeable and i say painfully in the most positive way are extremely noticeable about the filmmaking of it yeah and the way it's made and the wacky stuff we're deciding to do with the camera and with certain shots and i always love that i always love when you can tell that something has been done by the director or the camera or the cinematographer or the dp or whoever it may be has made a distinct creative decision to do something to make one shot in some wacky way that's going to stick with you and you're going to think about why has it been done that way yeah i think it definitely makes it stand out it definitely kind of uh hammers home a specific type of style um and, you know, definitely just makes it different than anything else you've seen before. Because, you know, we've probably seen stories like this before. But if you kind how many, of... How many thrillers have we watched? You know, how many of these kind yeah. of... Whether it's a noir movie, Robert Mitchum also very good in, in noir movies. Very well known for his noir movies. But how many noir movies have we watched on this, you know, for this show? How many... Even weird dark twisted movies from the 50s have we watched on this yeah. show none have been like this and even in the time of when this film was being made and the limitations of filmmaking uh aesthetics and and styles and things like that um the kind of creativity directors had to come up with to do something interesting um you know, like the whole kind of circle zoom in thing and these silhouette, these silhouetted scenes, um, things like that. Uh, definitely, uh, you kind of had to be creative in other ways because of the limitations of just what you could do technically at the time. Yeah. So definitely some really brilliant things I think are in this movie that make it I had a out. good. I did have a good read up on some of the choices Charles Lawton was kind of oh, making and why okay. he made them. 
because I just found it fascinating. I found I find I want to learn much more about the making of the Night of the Hunter, really, because knowing the little that I know now and having finally watched the movie for the first time, allowing it to sit with me for a few days before we've recorded this yeah, has just, it's just moulded itself into my head in all these weird ways. I've not stopped thinking about it. It was really one of those movies. I really had a very, very strong reaction to it. Yeah. As much as I have enjoyed thoroughly the other movies in Charles Lawton's season, as I'm going <laughs> to continue to call yeah. it. Witness for the Prosecution, obviously phenomenal. Hobson's Choice kind of felt special to me. Yes. Mutiny on the Bounty, a spectacle of fun adventure movies. And a younger Charles Lawton. And a younger Charles Lawton. But even those three, even Witness for the Prosecution, hasn't had this kind of sit-with-me effect that The Night of the Hunter seems to have had on me. Wow. And I'm thankful I watched it a few days ago and not yesterday because I can say that with confidence now. Yeah. that That it has stuck with me, which I always feel is just so special when you watch a movie um maybe not everybody's heard of the night of the hunter but it's certainly a movie that if you search around like i said if you search around for old movies for long enough you will come across the name the night of the hunter as a movie that is comes highly recommended basically yeah. I mean, it appeared um, on that countdown of scariest movie yeah. moments. Uh, so I want to know. I want to know which moment it was, but I know we have to do something before we get into the meat of the discussion today. And we know what I'm like. I always run the risk of not of just wanting to get straight in <laughs> yes. to full discussion, especially when it's a movie that I feel this kind of intensely excited to talk about. Yeah. But we do have something very important to do first, Janine, of course, don't we? What is that? We have to say a huge thank you to the It's a Wonderful Podcast patrons. Yay! The patrons are so wonderful. If you would like to join us on the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. Find the tier that's right for you. Every single patron we have on there gets a nice thank you shout out on every on uh, every week on an episode on the it's a wonderful podcast feed so of course first off first off i should say speak actually into the microphone that would be nice wouldn't it <laughs> a big thank you to maxwell haddad and thank you amber Coates. thank you abby freel thank you ferris muthana Thank you to Janine's brother, just in the 90s comics box. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you to Adelaide. Thank you, Christina Farrow. Thank you, Heather Sabian. Thank you, Megan McCurley, a.k.a. Dr. Megs. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Finobi Steve. Thank you to Samia Tesfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, Carla Feese. Thank you, Adam Collins. Thank you, Delisha Butler. Thank you, Gigi. 
Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you to our lovely friends Tom and Kimber of Odd Shape Channel. And thank you, of course, to Billy Polahan. Yay, the patrons. Are the patrons as good as the Knight of the Hunter? Yes, but in a very different way. Yes. None of <laughs> the patrons, how you were as far as that. I'm concerned, Janine, are absolute maniacs. And it's fair to say that Robert Mitchum in this movie is an absolute maniac. But to lead off with my question that I was asking you, um, what you watched this, uh, or this movie came into your consciousness perhaps because of this movie countdown show, scariest movie moments countdown show you were watching. What moment from the night of the hunter was it? Um, I believe it's when he is chasing the children, just kind of how inhuman he seems, like how he's chasing them up the stairs, almost with his arms outstretched like a Frankenstein, like grabbing for them. And just that whole chase um, being very intense and scary and even like getting into the boat and the water and, you know, him just so close to grabbing them. Um, all of that, that whole chase, that final chase was, I believe, the moment they had on the countdown. Okay. Okay, fair enough. That makes sense. It is pretty intense. Yes. Pretty pretty scary. And if you're in the children's kind of perspective at that point, which we spend the majority of the movie in the children's perspective, to be honest, specifically John. Yes. Young boy. Um, I, you know I don't necessarily like to get too plotty. With our discussions on It's a Wonderful Podcast, uh, Janine. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to, not to dictate proceedings, <laughs> but I don't necessarily just want to go through the plot and talk about what happens. I think this movie deserves a little bit of something different because it okay. felt like something different. Is, is that not fair to say? Yes, that is definitely fair to say basic premise of the night of the hunter for those unaware is basically robert mitchum is some sort of weird evangelical preacher man who's also a serial killer yes and he's like this self-ordained <laughs> preacher man yeah he just goes around shouting the gospel and being really charming and charismatic to everybody whilst also having devious things go on in the background. Yes, finding widows to murder and take their money. Yes. But um, he justifies that in this vein of, of religious freedom and, and doing the Lord's work. Yes, all of that. The Lord's told me to do these things. Basically, I think the Knight of the Hunter really hates evangelical preachers, which... You know, perhaps maybe why in the mid-50s it didn't get the heaviest of positive receptions. Yes. Um, who's to say? I think that's probably a big reason because it was a little bit terrifying for too many people on a real level. Um, but we have a... Well, we, we, we have an arrest at the beginning of the movie. It's structured very unusually, to be fair, this movie. And I think that adds to the kind of weirdness and intrigue of it as well, is it's a very unusual structure. Basically, uh, there's two children 
their mother is played by Shelley Winters, and their dad, who's played by the guy who says the line, have you ever seen a grown man naked in Airplane? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's that same dude, mm -hmm. which I found out, so I thought that was hilarious. Um, he's, he's their dad, and he uh, got sent to... Uh, given the death penalty yes. for armed robbery. He's just robbed a bank. Yes. Uh, so there's £10,000 uh, £10,000 $10,000 <laughs> hidden. Um, who knows where? We know where. The audience. The children know where. These, and these are young children as well. Like I think John the boy is probably about 10. And the girl... Uh, what's the girl's name? What's the girl's damn name, Janine? Why have I forgotten her name? That's a horrible thing of me to do. The girl is Pearl. Pearl, yes. Um, Pearl is probably about six by the looks of it. Seven, maybe. Maybe eight. Something like that. I can't tell the age of people. Yeah, I'd say five or six. She's very young. Um... But they know where the, the they know where this ten thousand dollars been hidden. The father, who is now dead, for the rest of the movie, knows where this is hidden. But they swear, you know, they make a promise to their father not to tell their mother or anybody else, and, they, and even their mother, even poor widow Shelley Winters, who is I feel like Shelley Winters whenever she turns up. On It's a Wonderful Podcast, Janine. And I don't mean to take over the whole show. I've realised I've not oh, no, stopped no, no. talking for 15 <laughs> minutes. Shelley Winters is always playing radically different characters whenever we see her. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, a testament to, you know, she's. I feel like she's a bit underrated after seeing A Patch of Blue and this. Um, she definitely... an adventure. Yes, she definitely... the first time she showed up on the show. <laughs> Where she's also playing a ridiculously different type of character to this movie, and especially a patch of blue, where she's playing the raving, abusive racist. Yes. It's... She's very good. She's younger in this movie, I suppose, though. She at least seems it. She's yeah. certainly playing more timid and gullible, I suppose. Yeah, it's very gullible. But who wouldn't be, you know, wooed by Robert Mitchum's charm? He's, he's very effective, very, very charismatic in this movie. I'm trying to figure out, like, I know he's playing a very similar character to Max Cady in Cape Fear. But isn't Harry Powell in this movie kind of a hell of a lot worse? Like, he's got, I think he's a hell of a lot worse because, at least in Cape Fear, Max Cady seemed to have a motive. In this movie, he's just doing it because he enjoys it. Yes, and he is, is doing it under this uh, guise to kind of wash away his own sinister feeling about it by saying it is the Lord's work. Um, and I think he is more about endearing himself to people you know to his prey yeah firsthand whereas max katie was kind of outright pretty creepy um yeah. so you see pearl pearl like loves him right away she's calling him daddy she's sitting on his lap um 
you know, she's formed this instant bond with him. Uh, and even Shelley Winter, she kind of falls for, you know, his nonsense right away to the point where she's blaming herself for things on their wedding night. She wants to be intimate with him and he shames her for that and says, you know, doing that act is only for making children. If you don't want any more children, then we're not going to be intimate. And even the thought is sinful and wrong. And he makes her feel like this awful person. So then the rest of the movie, she has succumbed to submission to him because he's made her feel like she is a sinner and he's there to save her and all of these things. So oh, the fact he, that for, he for the rest of her appearance in the movie. Yes, yes. Um so he I think is a lot more um scary in the fact that he in welcomes people. He gets people to really Hell like him. More. Yes, he gets people to submit to him in certain ways and have them blaming themselves like Shelly Winter. Um, so I think that is a lot more scary than Max Katie, who's kind of outright a creep and you can kind of read him right away. I think everything about the making of this movie though, is just, just kind of adds to this really sinister tone of it. Like yeah. I said, the structure's just weird, which throws you off immediately. So you're never quite sure where your head's at. Which yeah. Is, puts us in the boot in the minds of the characters at that point, doesn't it? Because they're never quite sure where the head's at. One minute they really like Harry Powell. One minute they find it out he's killed people. You know, it's we don't know who's who. We yeah. don't know what's what. Structure-wise, with this movie, um, it's unusual it's creative it doesn't it's not messy in any way it's you know it's structured it makes sense it's perfectly coherent as a story yeah well i mean that's like something that's done so much in movies like look at anything quentin tarantino does this non-linear yeah. way of telling stories and people are talking about how brilliant that is and how smart it is and that you can tell a story all kind of out of order and have it all kind of come together and still be coherent and make sense like movies like this were doing things like that just robert mitchum just has this really intense voice yeah it's like it's 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 like a gregory peck voice if gregory peck this is why cape fear is good because gregory peck is the deep charming voice epitome of good and robert mitchum is the deep charming voice epitome <laughs> of, of evil, evil yeah <laughs> which is ironic <laughs> given the fact that Robert Mitchum in this movie is where the love hate tattoos on the fingers come from Yes. Because he has his whole monologue about love triumph over hate and how it's all about, really about religion. And he doesn't <laughs> make say... a great deal of sense. But... Uh, and you make that comparison of Gregory Peck to uh, Robert Mitchum and it just, uh, I'm bringing up TikTok again on one of our shows. Um, I saw this kind of series of videos by this girl who has broken down this science of like every actor has a, a Wario to their Mario. Yes, Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum are exactly so that. definitely I would say Gregory Peck is the Mario and Robert Mitchum is his Wario. They have the same voice. 
they have oh, the oh same booming gravitas, but you know, Gregory Peck is preaching in the name of good and all that is right and advocating. Uh, Gregory Peck would Gre never play evil. <laughs> yes, Robert Mitchum is preaching nonsense and fear and, uh, you know, shame. And, you know, <laughs> it's not even just nonsense and fear and shame, though, it's just kind of this sadistic mental torture that he yes. puts people through. Um, it's it's a phenomenal performance from Robert Mitchum. It really is. And like I said, Charles Lawton's direction of this movie, his what the one movie he ever made, which is for the reason simply that it didn't do well at the box office and it didn't do well critically and it put Charles Lawton off making movies because he directed a lot of stage plays and he decided to just carry on doing that in his directing, you yeah. know, from his directing standpoint, which is fair enough, isn't it? But, you know, if, if the one movie you try and make doesn't necessarily get a great reception um, yeah, and you've put, put you all you bit, want yeah. into it. I've read some things that Charles Lawton didn't necessarily love making movies because, or love the idea of making movies because in the theatre you can always change little elements of it that you might not have liked in the first performance that you change to the second performance. You know, whether it's a lighting uh, mm -hmm. cue or something like that. Once a movie's made, the movie's, that's the movie. Yeah. You know, once the movie's released, mm, that's it. You don't. You're not doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> you can't change some little thing there. Once you've got your take that you're happy with, that's that. Everything well, else now, is away. <laughs> that kind of makes me think about why actors like Hitchcock and Capra remade films years later of things they had done earlier on, yeah, probably to, to change to those something. things and, yeah. and, and take that stage approach of, I didn't like this thing. I'm going to change it. Um, yeah. When you said that, I it really just made me think of that. <laughs> it's using the technical developments of mm -hmm. movies. That's another reason why, you know, Hitchcock, you know, for example, remade Manu knew too much and, Capra did remake a few movies. Yeah. Um, not necessarily Bill called and, the same thing. No, and a pocket full of miracles. Yeah. But the same movie just for development's sake, really. Um, but the whole movie is basically one big hunt. It's called The Night of the Hunter for a reason. Yes. Robert Mitchum. Is he is a hunter a predator in yes. this movie of the highest degree you put robert mitchum in this movie against the predator from predator and i think robert mitchum wins <laughs> in terms of who's the better i mean predator. his chances are pretty good i mean we meet him we are introduced to him while he's on his way to his next conquest his next you know piece of prey he's driving the stolen car down the street and is like oh, okay well, well lord well, tell me what to do next i got all i could get out of that old hag now what should i do where should i go next to you know find another another fresh victim lord <laughs> he's just having this monologue to himself while he's driving the stolen car down the street to find his next victim there is a slight 
the, the, I don't know. Is is it a, Would you say it's a slight southern twang that Robert Mitchum yes, showcases he in this? He does movie. have a bit of a drawl. I mean, yes, the movie's set in Virginia. I think it's not overly clear where the movie's set, but I think it's Virginia. There is a hell of a lot of distrust of kind of preachers yeah. in this movie. You know, from, from, from the making standpoint, from the filmmaking standpoint, or, or false prophets, I suppose, would be the more accurate description of, of what this movie doesn't like. Yeah. It doesn't like people who go around. It's like televangelists, isn't it? nowadays or 20 years ago when televangelists were actually a thing and what did what do the people who were televangelists do now are they still trying to do that kind of thing on television i don't even know i mean i would assume so are they still trying to scam people out of thousands of dollars by telling them that god's way i think this way today there's more political ties that fit into things like that yes so definitely now through the vein of politics they're they're pushing their religious give me money for so and so and which (laughs) that's it's the same that that's what this movie doesn't like that's what harry powell is kind of encapsulating from the filmmaking standpoint because i do actually believe Harry Powell existed in real life, from what I read. Oh wow! This guy, this this sort of stuff happened, and this guy existed. He would go around stealing widows' fortunes, like you've said, killing them, and just carrying on. Serial killer, but preaching the gospel. Yeah. Because there is, of course, no... That's why he's terrifying. Because on paper, the Bible, and, you know, it's supposed to be an entirely positive thing. But, oh my God, does it always seem to cause so much grief for everybody. Yeah. You know, that's the... it's 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 a big question. It's a big talking point but it's something that this movie wants to talk about it's something that this movie directly asks you watching it the question of why are you trusting these charming people who preach these words they could be doing anything you shouldn't trust these people you know don't be so trusting think a bit more do a bit more looking into things yeah. before you trust and i think that's a wise thing that's a wise way to be yes but i mean who you is know. that woman who's kind of imploring shelly winters to to give harry a chance like I, for a while the, i thought that was her mother but that's just her like that's just a friend no, that's just right? some that's just some neighbor some friend in the town lady. who's just nosy and telling her oh yes it's such a kindly man to look in on you you know after you know you've been widowed and like yeah. You might you might have thought she was her mother because she gets called mother. Yeah. In the movie. But she gets called mother 
in the movie by her own husband. It seems a little bit off. Yeah, that's a thing. I know people, a lot of people talked about Mike Pence and his wife calling themselves that and calling each other that. <laughs> I'm glad that's not really a thing anymore. That just seems very strange. Yeah, it is definitely an American kind of... Southern thing, calling each other, calling each other Ma and Pa. <laughs> There's some there's some psychological thing going on there. <laughs> to be fair, this movie's full of weird psychological goings on, isn't it? So it's yes. there's a hell of a lot going on in the subtext. But which yes, is, it's my favorite kind of movies. I love that lady later, you know, being the first to yeah. call for his head yeah. after she was talking but, him up and blaming Shelley Winters and <laughs> not, not even that. Like it was really extreme. This later on in the movie, okay, yes, you know, the movie's one big chase. It's a movie, good's gonna win. It's a movie made under the Hayes Code, still good's gonna win in the end, okay. There's nothing shocking about that. Um this woman who was all about oh, she was fawning over Robert Mitchum for the majority of this movie. Oh, he's so charming. Oh, I love his love hate tattoo monologue it's so great she was basically holding her hands to her shoulder like snow white or some sort yes, of yes how lucky shelly winters is to find such a blessed god-fearing man. pious man a pious man uh she th there's there's one cut which i found hilarious darkly hilarious because it just cuts to her when harry powell's kind of been found out in court and she's just screaming to lynch him. Like, that's a ridiculously yeah. aggressive way of dealing with it. Yeah. But she's like, not stop it. Oh, she's just, that's that's what we're doing. We're going to lynch this man now. Yeah. And she's leading this mob. It's terrifying. Yes, and you were literally right here seconds ago, like, talking him up and imploring Shelly to marry him and <laughs> then when you he gave this whole sad story about how she left for a life of sin oh, and left yes. the children with him, you were right there believing all of that and, and talking he was down the tears on, wasn't he? Yes, very clever. Hundred percent. Yes, very clever. But there's, there's there's devious people in the world, Jadine. Yes, very. And there are devious, devious people in the world. This this movie's just such a. It's so unlike what I thought The Night of the Hunter was always going to be before I had seen it. I had absolutely no idea it was going to have this much creativity to it yeah. and this much kind of thought gone into the subtext. I assumed it would simply be a very intense thriller. I had no inkling whatsoever that it would really be about being careful who you trust yeah. um watch out for weird strangers riding into town on a stolen horse at one point harry powell steals a horse and just kind of rides about like some like a 
again like a hunter and yeah very scary how they've kind of framed him there's that whole point where you know he does learn where the money is hiding he's chasing the children for it they think they've kind of gotten away they're sleeping in this barn thinking they're safe and it's just the silhouette of him in the dark on this horse and you just see his shape on this horse riding around and you hear his booming voice calling for them in the dark it's so creepy or doing or singing that strange kind of yes lullaby song almost isn't it that he sings or it's it's like a half lullaby half hymn but it's really it's like a motif throughout the whole movie it recurs time and time again yeah being sung by Robert Mitchum, but you're right, he's framed like some sort of death omen. Yeah. And just this silhouetted figure on the horizon bringing your doom. Yes. And I love how on when when the kids eventually get away from him after we've had the chase scene that you talked about in that countdown video of him getting really intense and i i love that scene actually between because for the first sort of half of the movie robert mitchum has been trying to secretly ask john the child the son in particular who i actually thought was played really well i like yeah. that performance from that kid i thought he did really well pearl was a six-year-old actor <laughs> yeah but this kid was great. I mean, what's his name? His name was Billy Chapin. Or Chapin. But he was great. And no yeah. problems with that kid. He was no, really, good, really good. Um What was I saying? I'm sorry. Robert Mitchum was trying for the first half of the movie, trying to secretly get the location of this ten thousand dollars out of the children trying to not let Shelley Winters over here or trying to not let anybody else in the town over here what he's actually up to because he's got to keep up his ruse, hasn't he? Well, then once Shelley Winter heard, heard him and heard him threaten the daughter as well. Yes. You know, that's when it was kind of her time. Her number was up. And her yes. still to the very end with a knife over her still being naive that it's her to blame and she's the sinner and he needs to save her. And, you know, I know I heard you asking about that money, but I know, you know, the Lord is telling me that that's not the only reason you marry me. You married me because of love and because you want to save me for the Lord. And she's saying all of this to him as he's pulling out a knife and bringing it down to her. Janine, oh my God, this shot, that scene. Mm -hmm. Robert Mitchum murdering Shelley Winters is shot like some sort of gothic expressionistic 20s movie. Yes. Which there's a lot of influence of silent movies in this movie. That is on purpose. There is even, there is one massively significant um inclusion of silent movie law as it were to this movie um that i I will get on to talk about because i I just love this one particular death scene which is really sinister but it's me and you know i like that kind of twisted nonsense 
but that really high ceiling it just felt like some sort of cathedral yes it felt felt so expressionistic and so gothic like you said robert mitchum's always lit as this death omen yeah as this harbinger of death as this hunter there are scenes where like i said where the children finally get away after all this has taken place after that particularly intense chase he's shouting at the children he's 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 performing he's like quietly shouting at them though which is even worse isn't it he's not like absolutely going all out booming at them he's trying to reserve himself but then he just explodes every now and again yeah in this boom of intensity but there are scenes when the children are floating down the river on this boat seemingly away from him that are intercut with like owls yeah and like nocturnal all the nocturnal predators that you're just thinking oh he's not gone anywhere yeah he has not gone anywhere he's He's still watching he's still around he's close there is it is just it's called the night of the hunter for a reason i've said that like three times already so the fact that he puts these kind of symbolic hunter type moments in there uh is so brilliant and this is yeah this is charles lawton yes who knew charles lawton was so dark and twisted and symbolic as well he's just it's a very very cleverly made movie just a really really surprisingly i always love it when you find movies made within the code that are so daring and so creative you can find phenomenal movies obviously made within the code that seem very mainstream and seem very straightforward in their making doesn't mean they're not phenomenal movies but this is on a whole different level and simply people in 1955 weren't ready for this kind of nonsense definitely not they did not take kindly to this they did not take kindly to the darkness of it they did not take kindly to the harsh truth of it really ultimately it's a positive movie because you get the second half of the movie that's a little bit a little bit wholesome to a point yeah which i actually really like and we'll get on to that soon enough um but i have talked an awful lot about that first half <laughs> of the movie now anything else you want to say janine i do not mean to take over i'm just very excited oh not at all um i mean the makeup on the shelly winter's drowned body that we see discovered at the bottom of the water is definitely uh very well executed especially for that time like makeup wise that looked really great um and then just that terrifying moment of them actually getting away the scene that is was on this countdown is the scariest scene him just becoming very animalistic like a yeah. predator and again another just nod to that whole uh theme um 
chasing after them and uh, them just narrowly getting away at so many different moments and them going to that family friend they call uncle. I can't remember what they call him. Uncle Steptoe. Yes. Um, and the fact that he is incoherent and he can't help them. That was so scary. Cause you thought, Oh my gosh, okay. They've made it. Someone can help them. They're, they're safe, but no, he has found the corpse of Shelly Winters. He blames himself because I think she was hooked to his boat. So he's traumatized. Yeah. He's drunken himself into a stupor. So he's completely out of it and can't help them. So then it's just another moment of terror, like thinking he, and then you hear him get out. And so, so yes, that, that moment was definitely uh, a great moment to put on that list uh, because just absolutely terrifying and tense. That whole chase, him in the water, screaming after them uh, as they kind of get away on the boat. It's just so many moments in that one situation of them narrowly escaping this insane person. So uh, I definitely had some heightened uh, intensity in those moments, uh, for sure, for sure. So I really liked, I really liked that whole sequence. That first half of the movie is nonstop intensity. Yes. I'm thankful for the little bit of a wholesome break we get in the yes, majority of the, the second half, part. Where we get this badass lady who comes in and, you know. <laughs> here is the other, or here is the most significant um, Charles Lawton loves silent movies involvement in this whole movie because. Uh, Rachel Cooper, this woman in this movie, is played by Lillian Gish. Lillian Gish is one of the absolute biggest names of silent Hollywood. She barely made a talking, talking movie. Talking movie, yeah. Um, she made this... She, she, well, she, she didn't make many talking movies, and she was enormous in the 1910s and the 1920s um unfortunately she's probably most well known in, in silent movies for actually being the lead female in birth of a nation yeah <laughs> a, a deeply obviously problematic movie but a massive movie yeah other movies with Lillian Gishin that are, si that are silent movies include The Wind <laughs> that we can watch. If you would like to watch a it's silent a movie with Lillian Gishin that's good, that isn't that one because <laughs> nobody should ever be wa watching that one realistically. Although she's also in uh, D.W. Griffith's Intolerance, which I always find ironic that he made, like three years later, made a movie called Intolerance about how intolerant everybody is and how we should all just be nice. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. Okay, then. But basically, Lillian Gish is enormous in early Hollywood. She but comes even... back in this movie. <laughs> Yes, but even like in this you, movie, she made all the movies. I'm, I, mean, I apologize, I'm interrupting. Oh no, 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 that's okay. Um, just with his love of silent films, you also see that kind of nod with, um, the fade ins and the fade outs. You know, yep. like the whole screen going the black into the little circle. Um, the little circle fades uh, definitely felt very old, old silent film. This is what I mean. The framing is, mm -hmm. the lighting is, the editing is, and 
even one of the stars is. Yes. There's got such a love of silent expressionist movies in this one that had to be more expressionist because they didn't have sound. Had to be more poetic in their telling of a story because they couldn't have too much speech. Yeah. To explain everything, you know? Yes. So that's it's such a it's such a bold choice. <laughs> it's such a bold choice. Um don't think just because Lillian Gish happened to be in that movie that we shouldn't be celebrating Lillian Gish as a phenomenal performer in history. And in this movie in particular. And in this movie in particular because she is so lovely. And yeah, such and I think a absolute kind of... If there's anybody that was going to stop Robert Mitchum, it would have been this woman. Yes, and it's definitely, like you said, a nice breath and sense of levity after the intensity we've just been through with these kids. Because you're like, okay, they're on their own. What are they going to do? They have this money, which we do discover that it was hidden in uh, Pearl's doll the whole time. Um, yeah. And uh, Don't know how you fit ten thousand dollars in I know. a kid's doll but and out of fear of what Robert Mitchum was going to do to John, he has him by you know by the neck and threatens to kill him. Yeah. Pearl does reveal that that's where the money's hidden. Um so that's kind of where the chase begins. Uh so they do kind of get away and now they're just, you know, we saw Pearl with her sweet little curls and at the end of this chase she just was looking crazy. Um and they're asleep in their boat, and that's where um, they are uh, found uh, by Miss Cooper. And she takes them in and cares for them, along with um, some other girls that she's kind of taken in. Uh, and, you know, Harry shows up there. He's found them, and he's asking for them and, um, you know, playing the whole... Tends to be their father, yes. doesn't he? And... Pearl still somehow has some sense of loyalty to him. I think just because of how young she is and, um, you know, she's it, still it's manipulating innocence. Yes. That's what it is. There is, there's even more, there's kind of a, it's, 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 it's not simply just a manipulation of kind of people mentally. There's, deeper psychological manipulation from Harry Powell as well to a point it's kind of repressed sexuality yeah from him being deeply confused in terms of I mean it's not out nothing's outright said but you infer things don't you you you, you look into things he is deeply damaged you know, in that way, psychologically. Yes. And inflicts this psychological or psychosexual damage on everybody else, including the children. Yeah. Which is even more twisted, obviously. Yes. At one point, he literally buys one of these girls an ice cream and tries weirdly getting to talk to her and you think this movie still came out when the code's about how it actually got <laughs> passed i'm not quite sure yes I just, 
they just didn't read into um maybe they maybe they just did maybe the code's just idiots and let's be yeah and they were just like oh he just bought some ice cream they're not reading into the innuendo of things like that um and yeah like i said just like his weird dismissal of shelly winters and like you know making her feel dirty and sinful for wanting to be intimate on her wedding night and talking about how kind of disgusting that whole concept is that it's only for one thing yes he has these deluded weird ideas and is compartmentalizing parts of of religion that suit his sadistic needs um that made me harken back for the wedding night of hobson's choice which was the most precious thing you will ever see in the world (laughs) yes the most nervous you will ever see any human being is john mills on his wedding night yes (laughs) in hobson's choice (laughs) taking his stupid plastic shirt thing off yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that door opening it was just great um but yeah it's so twisted you just look under that first layer there's so much creepiness yeah in this movie there from a psychological point is just constant but i love the fact that the movie transforms itself from a really pessimistic people are terrible don't trust anyone you know these evil people are out to get you story yeah to this one of there are people that can protect you there are people that love and love will always win no matter what you know robert mitchum says about his twisted tale of love and hate this is another twisted tale of love and hate Yes, but and I like just how perceptive uh, Miss Cooper is just the fact that like, you know, she was quick to just like, oh, this is your father, go with your father. And then seeing kind of John's reaction and um, even with Pearl still kind of wanting to maybe go with him a little bit, seeing John's harsh reaction, um, her kind of picking up on that and realizing so there's something wrong here. And then her, you know, putting her all into protecting these kids, staying up all night, bringing out her shotgun, like, you know, making sure they're all okay. If there's what, if there's one person you don't want to cross Janine, it's a middle-aged Southern lady with a shotgun. Yes. You, you don't want to cross them. They're going to, you know, especially if you're a child murdering widow murdering thief who realistically got what he deserved yes <laughs> if we're got being his... honest by the end of the movie yes got his comeuppance and then I, even I would say just... you're pr- probably pretty satisfied in terms of people getting their comeuppance with this one yes very satisfied um uh Not just the fact and that I... you actually saw necessarily anything but you know what's happening to him yes um, and just the hard parallel for John, like seeing that's how his father was arrested. Like his father rushes yeah. home. He gives him yeah. the money, tells them, you know, this is where we're going to hide it. Don't say anything. And then they pin him down. They, you know, take his hands behind his back. They take him away. And the same thing happens to, um, same thing to happens Harry. To, to Harry in front of him. 
and uh, he something triggers in him. Yeah, up until this point, we've seen John kind of holding it together, protecting Pearl. Um, you know, yeah. holding holding Very on to that strong. promise holding on to that promise to his father and then just seeing Harry in that same position. He just freaks out. He takes the doll. I don't want it anymore. This is too much. Like, you know, just having to hold all this responsibility because even his mother was not strong enough to protect them that he had to kind of take that on. So kind of reliving that moment that start, kicked off all this fear and responsibility hoisted on him all at once reliving that moment i think just triggered him into just throwing that money at him and you know saying he's done i don't want it if this is what it's going to cause and you know it was a really powerful scene seeing the money flying everywhere and you know if you want it just take it i'm done like this whole movie is harry psychologically torturing every other character yeah in in different ways in different degrees of ways but that's what this whole movie is, being a hunter of the highest degree and just not getting away with it. Yeah. Eventually not getting away with it. It catches up to him like it's going to if you go on a murdering spree, you know. They're not usually going to let you go. That's why unsolved mysteries is such a big thing because it's so rare that something like that actually happens you know yeah things things catch up to you but oh my god if robert mitchum didn't give the best performance i've ever seen him give yes and just great direction by charles lawton like we're definitely seeing him use uh things that inspire him, things that he is familiar with and incorporating that into this film to give it a distinct feeling, to kind of really sell the the themes, uh, the dark themes of, you know, uh, predators and prey and warped kind of uh, religious manipulation and all these kind of dark themes and tones and him really uh, showing that in, in great symbolism uh, and great style, uh, just really well done, really well done. It so just far. makes you. It just makes you more annoyed at critics in 1955, really, doesn't it? Yes, they don't like it. I mean, it's the same kind of people that didn't like Vertigo in 1958 because they couldn't handle the fact that it's all actually about, ma- you know, insecure masculinity and dodgy psychology yeah and harry powell's just insecure masculinity and dodgy psychology as well just on a slightly significantly darker darker way yeah but i loved this movie i didn't love it as much as i love it now yesterday and i watched it three days ago yeah, like you definitely sit with it and you really kind of notice the really smart choices made um, and even like the beautiful shots and the, uh, the thing is tense well, it's, build it's... of it and the great performances. Like there are so many levels and layers. Um, you know, you get that break with the Miss Cooper moments when you need it because you're just running on on such high intensity and fear for a good There's portion. There's a scene at Christmas that's like yes. the most wholesome thing and they, in and the And I love that world. very sweet ending. Like, you know, John, he's given up this money. 
he doesn't know what to give this woman who's essentially saved his life. And so he just finds yeah. an apple and wraps it up so he can just give her something and show her some way of appreciation for everything and very sweet moments. So yeah, like he, he gives you those breathing moments. He gives you the tense moments. He gives you all these really smart layers of just character uh, perfection. And yeah, just love the direction, love the style of it, love the performances. Uh, it's a great story. Just, yeah, really, really nice surprise of a film. I'm so glad I would just happen to be watching that and found this. It was great. A really big surprise is the best way I can describe it as well, because as much as I had heard The Night of the Hunter was a movie that we should be watching, a movie that, you know, I as a lover of old movies should absolutely have watched, and this needs to be priority on your list. Did I think it was anything close to what it actually turned into be? No. Yeah. And I'm so thankful it turned out to be what it turned out to be. I I can't sing this movie's praises enough. And singing praises is something religious people tend to do quite often in church, isn't it? I think yes. actually so. Singing praises to this movie I think is quite accurate. Although churchgoers, I don't have anything against you. You're not Harry Powell, you know. Yeah. You're probably perfectly nice. <laughs> yeah. For the most part, you're not trying to kill people and call it okay because God's telling you to do it. Yeah. Or at least I hope you're not doing that. Yeah. I really hope you're not. But Harry Powell is. It's just such a good movie. Yeah. Such really an good. unbelievably good movie. Yes. I'm going to shout about it to everybody. I'm going to be one of those annoying people and shout about it to everybody. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I want to buy it in special edition so it comes with all the features so I can delve deeper into it. Yes, definitely. I'm sure there would be some really great behind the scenes on this one. There has to be. Because even the little that I've read just fascinates me from a surface level point and that's all i've spoke about from from that kind of you know the silent movie influences and what's kind of blatantly obvious um but it's just a little bit that i've read about on it and the religious stuff and the, and the fact it was poorly received yeah it's, it's surface level that you can just find i've not delved that that deep into it although i did hear that charles lawton was a little bit mean to pearl Aww. on set because he didn't she she wasn't doing it right was she janine well, she wasn't doing it. apparently he was really nice to john because well, he i'm um, sure he was hitting his marks and yeah. knew what to do and... really nice to him but but I mean, Pearl was kind of annoying anyway. Like, poor John was like, gotta keep the secret. Stop it. You can't trust him. <laughs> but he's my daddy. I like him. Cutting up all the money and making little dolls. Pearl. <laughs> you know, remember on like the Witness for the Prosecution episode where I'm sure I brought up the fact that Charles Lawton was apparently like 
quite a notoriously difficult dude to work with a lot but of on the that time. movie he was but great on that movie, he was great because he yeah. just loved billy wilder so much yeah i feel like put him in the director's chair in this and maybe Watch he's not going to be the nicest to kids but then again i did read that robert mitchum adored working with charles lawton okay um so i don't know I don't know. You, you get mixed response. I, for one, Janine, am a big fan of Charles Lawton in every sense. Yes, and we've seen. I think that's I fair think, to say. I think we've seen every sense. So I think we've seen young. Little... We've seen young, old, comedic, and very directing. British. <laughs> yes. yes, comedic, dramatic, and directing. Yes. The variations of Mr. Charles Lawton. Janine, are we going to call this episode there? I think we are. Anything else at all to say about nope. the night of the That's hunter? That's it. Just great movie, nice surprise, and found it at the right time. So thank you, Charles Lawton, for a nice run of great films. Oh, yeah. It's a shame we won't be doing a Charles Lawton next week. <laughs> or will we? Will he see? I don't know. Maybe. Do next week. It's going to be episode 175 oh, wow. of the okay. show next week. I don't know if you consider that a milestone, but it's certainly a round number. Yes, so that's always just satisfying to me. Yes. But there you go. Episode 174 that this has been. We have been talking The Night of the Hunter from 1955 just go and find it and watch it because god you won't be disappointed or you will be and you know that's your opinion i respect <laughs> that i respect that i would like to have a discussion with you who don't like the night of the hunter as to why but i respect that because i loved it and i'm gonna continue loving it the longer i let it sit in my head and weird me out with its yeah darkness anyway anyway janine this show it's a wonderful podcast the main show the friday show is not the only show we have on the it's a wonderful podcast feed is it we have machine mondays which is celebrating something wonderful on monday our 100th episode yay, yay. it's gonna be on time extra special episode of machine mondays coming on monday to celebrate a hundred episodes of that show but every monday we have you covered with machine mondays every friday of course with this show and every wednesday with morgan hasn't seen we are still talking lgbtq plus movies this series this month we're ending the series this next week with love simon we talked about kinky boots this past wednesday so go and check that out if you haven't already monday wednesday friday we have you covered here on the it's a wonderful podcast feed find it on anchor apple podcast spotify stitcher google podcast Castbox, and all the other places find the show on twitter at it's a wonderful one we've already talked about the patreon but we also have the it's a wonderful podcast youtube channel for you to go and like and subscribe to and do all your notification stuff for all the watch-alongs and the discussions and the fun of the videos that are on there and plenty more will be coming soon as well including perhaps one of me just shouting <laughs> at you 
to watch the night of the hunting <laughs> for 10 minutes straight. Three million views viral. It'd be great. Oh, it might be. Who knows? Who knows what weird things people enjoy on TikTok and things? I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe. Maybe, maybe we should make Night of the Hunter TikTok. That just seems like the most ridiculous concept. Yes, it, it does. I, I don't think anyone would get that. But, but what if they did, Janine? What if it became a phenomenon? <laughs> I, highly I think Charles Horton would be proud. <laughs> I hope he would. Anyway, uh, what else do I have to talk about? I don't know what else I have to talk about. You can find me on Twitter at the purple dome with a three instead of the e in the because three is the magic number. On Instagram at the purple dome. All your lovely stuff is where. You can find me at Janine DeBean underscore on Twitter, Janine DeBean on Instagram. And if you want to get any merch for any of our shows or check out any of my artwork, you can find all of that at my Tee Public shop at G9Design on teepublic.com. Well, there we go. Obviously, Janine. I want your best, Robert Mitchum. Oh, goodness. Why do you do this to me? I, I feel like I'm going to sound like Foghorn Leghorn or something. <laughs> As long, as long as you don't start saying, I say, I say, boy, <laughs> and you'll be fine if you don't sound like Foghorn Leghorn. Oh, three, <laughs> a two. <laughs> a that one. is Foghorn Leghorn. I told you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>